Today's show is brought to you by the best-selling book, The Dog Cancer Survival Guide, full-spectrum treatments to optimize your dog's life quality and longevity. It's available everywhere books are sold, in both paperback and digital editions, and on the publisher's website at dogcancerbook.com. Use coupon code PODCAST on that website to get 10% off the Dog Cancer Survival Guide today. And that's where I think the biggest danger is that people are going to not do proven effective therapies because they want to do this. So if you're doing this at the expense of doing a treatment that we have better evidence for, then we're doing a disservice. Welcome to Dog Cancer Answers, where we help you help your dog with cancer. Here's your host, James Jacobson. Hello, friend, and thank you for joining us today. Today, we are tackling the topic of an internet sensation. The over-the-counter drugs Tagamet and Benadryl used as a cure for cancer. Cure. Well, unfortunately, while this claim gets lots of buzz, it is a little more complicated than that. And here to explain the realities of Tagamet and Benadryl as part of a cancer treatment plan is Dr. Nancy Reese, a veterinarian with a master's degree in preventative veterinary medicine and a PhD in epidemiology. Dr. Nancy is also our chief medical editor here at Dog Podcast Network. Dr. Nancy, thank you once again for joining us on Dog Cancer Answers. It's a pleasure to be here. Today, we are going to tackle a subject that we have been debating whether or not we should give airtime to, and that is this discussion about using Tagamet and Benadryl, human Tagamet, which is an over-the-counter drug, and Benadryl as a protocol for dog cancer. And if you're listening to this and wondering, why would that have anything to do with dog cancer? Well, you're not the only ones. However, there is discussion on the internet about this, and some people swear by it and say it shrinks tumors and causes remission and basically cures cancer with like 99% success rate. So as someone who probably, you know, has listened to a little bit of dog cancer answers, you know, that probably isn't exactly so, but there seems to be some interest in this. Plus, there seem to be a lot of anecdotal people saying, hey, this is doing something. So that's why we wanted to talk to Dr. Nancy today and, and ask you about it. What's the scoop on this whole Tagamet Benadryl protocol? So there certainly does seem to be a lot of internet interest or social media interest in it. But as you kind of led into anything that claims a 99% success rate <laughs> probably is too good to be true. <laughs> My French fries at McDonald's will not be 99% whatever. I mean, yeah, even things that are super consistent, although I don't know French fries, right. but it, yeah, it's like there's very few <laughs> things in life that are 99%, especially in medicine. And it, truly, if that were the case, then we wouldn't be seeing the kind of cancer we are because everybody would be on board. There is not a single vet that wants your animal to keep having cancer because they make more money. That is just such a fallacy out there that if there was something that was easy, like Tagamet and Benadryl that would cure cancer, I would buy stock in <laughs> Benadryl and Tagamet. And I, I think the companies that make those would be very happy to be having you buy stock in it because clearly they built a better mousetrap that not only helps your allergies, but... <laughs> cures cancer. Right, right. It, it does sound too good to be true. So is there anything, is there any there there? 
Well, there are certainly some indications for more so for Tagmet than Benadryl. There are certain factors or features of Tagamet or cimetidine as the drug name in particular that actually does seem to have a little bit of anti-cancer effects. And I believe that Dr. Dressler talks about that in his books as well, that Tagamet in particular has some features that makes cancer cells respond to it. One of the ways that these both drugs really can sort of affect cancer is that some cancers are fueled more by histamine. So histamine might make the cancer grow a little bit more. And not all cancers probably have that, but histamine might be one of the growth factors that stimulates growth of some cancers. Which types of cancers are more susceptible to that? Well, it seems like in humans, colorectal cancer and maybe some stomach cancers seem to be particularly responsive to that tagamet effect. And I believe it's included in the standard of care for treating those types of cancer. Okay. So those ones are, are big ones. In dogs, probably our most well-known histamine-related cancer is mast cell tumors. And humans don't really get mast cell tumors the way dogs do are not in the same frequency. So we have a, a kind of a different cancer in the dog world in a way than humans do. And Benadryl and Tagamet certainly provide some benefit for mast cell tumors, not in terms of curing them, but in decreasing the effects of the histamine that mast cells are so full of. Okay. And then for listeners who don't know what mast cell cancer is, what is it? So mast cells are a normal type of blood cell that the bone marrow makes, but when they form tumors, they get an abnormal collection of these mast cells, most commonly either on the skin or underneath the skin, but they can also affect the liver and the the spleen and other areas. And these mast cells, they're very rapidly growing types of tumors, and the mast cells themselves are full of little granules that contain histamine. So when a mast cell releases that histamine, we will see dramatic changes. They'll get really red or inflamed and things because histamine is a very potent inflammatory agent. So mast cell tumors often are raised red, easily damaged, easily bruised type of tumors if they're hit or trauma happens to them and that they have different grades of mast cell tumors and grade ones are usually fairly benign and can be removed surgically and not necessarily come back. And then there's another grade that they can be much worse and spread to internal organs and make the animal feel really sick. So there's different levels of mast cell tumors. Okay. For people who are at home writing notes, it's mast, M-A-S-T. Yes. So let's talk a little bit about using this cimetidine you know, with these types of cancers, why might it be helpful? And why does Dr. Dressler recommend it? So it certainly seems to control the histamine reaction. So if oftentimes before surgery and maybe even a little after surgery for removing a mast cell tumor, having those antihistamines on board will make the tumor less likely to cause a bunch of inflammation, either with the surgical manipulation or beforehand, if it's on a place where the animal is actively able to chew at it or anything else, having an antihistamine will decrease the local reaction. They can even sometimes seem to shrink the tumors a little bit because 
the cells are so often releasing this histamine that they seem to get bigger and smaller with time. And antihistamines ahead of time can kind of shrink it to a more solid or basic level, if that makes sense. It does. So Benadryl is a brand name associated with, I don't know, the maker of Benadryl, the company that makes it, probably some big pharmaceutical company. Yes. When it comes to using this, and we're not going to call it a protocol, when it comes to using this with dogs with mast cell, do brand names matter? Are they important? In my opinion, no. I think Tagamet, which is cimetidine as the drug, Benadryl, which is diphenhydramine as the drug, generics in every other circumstance work just as well. So I don't see any benefit to the brand names. So Benadryl has one class of drugs and then Tagamet, which is the cimetidine, is a different, but they're very similar. And for this purpose, they're ostensibly the same. They're slightly different in that histamine can affect multiple receptors on cells. So there are different types of histamine receptors. I think we're up to at least four. Mm -hmm. So they're either called an H1, an H2, an H3, an H4, and I think there's some subsets there. Benadryl is an H1 blocker and Tagamet is an H2 blocker. So they're by giving both of those, you're effectively blocking two different areas that the histamine might attach to an effect. Okay. So other than mast cell, would you ever consider or recommend someone use this for treating dog cancer? I think the one other that I might consider it uh, is in melanomas. Partly, we don't have very many good options for melanoma, especially if surgery is not practical or, or possible. But there seems to be a little bit of evidence that Tagamet in particular could affect melanoma cells. So I, I might consider in that case, again, especially since we don't have other things available. Okay. So you've read this on the internet, you've heard this podcast, you understand that there may be two types of cancers that can benefit from it, and you want to talk to your veterinarian about it. Walk us through that process, because they probably are not going to go, oh, well, yes, of course. Right. And I think if somebody has a mast cell tumor, most vets would be pretty okay with adding the cimetidine and or Benadryl as a feature. One of the things I don't like about the description of this protocol is <laughs> that, yes, in quotes, is that I think there's a statement somewhere along the way that don't use other treatments. It won't work if you do traditional therapies and things. And that's where I think the biggest danger is that people are going to not do proven effective therapies because they want to do this. So if you're doing this at the expense of doing a treatment that we have better evidence for, then we're doing a disservice. We will be right back after this quick break with more from Dr. Nancy on what makes good science and how you can tell if something is for real or not. And now, a message from your dog. Every day with you is like a day at the beach. And I want as many beach days as possible. I want to run and sniff and find a good stick to carry. I want to roll in the grass and warm my belly in the sun. I want to walk with you, run with you, sleep with you, eat with you. And when I eat with you, I want Everpup. The green, grassy, beef liver spiked smell wakes my senses. You may not realize this, but it tastes like homemade gravy. 
especially when you wet it. It infuses any food you give me with health and life and vibrancy. I can feel it. Everpup traveling to every cell in my body, nourishing each one. Does it roll back time? Of course not. Not really. But it helps me feel like I'm on top of the world. I'm so glad you're giving it to me every day. Because every day I'm so glad to be with you. I'm so grateful to be your dog. And for the Everpup you give me. So now that you know what your dog wants, get Everpup, the ultimate dog supplement. Everpup is available in select pet shops and on Amazon. But to get the best price possible, join the Everpup Club at everpupclub.com, where you'll get your first jar for just $8 with free shipping anywhere in the U.S. Go to everpupclub.com and use the discount code DPN. That is everpupclub.com. Everpup every day. If your dog has cancer, you need to get a copy of the best-selling animal health book, The Dog Cancer Survival Guide. Because no matter what you've heard, there are always steps that you can take to help your dog fight and maybe even beat cancer. At nearly 500 pages, this comprehensive guide is your complete reference for practical, evidence-based strategies that can optimize the life quality and longevity of your dog. It's written by two of the most respected names in dog cancer, full-spectrum veterinarian Damien Dressler and veterinary oncologist Susan Ettinger. With the Dog Cancer Survival Guide, you'll learn everything that you need to know about conventional treatments, surgery, chemotherapy, and radiation, including how to reduce their side effects. You'll also discover the most effective non-conventional options, including nutraceuticals and supplements and diet, as well as mind-body medicine. What I love most about this book, which I've used with my own dog, Kanga, when she was diagnosed with cancer, is how to analyze the options and develop a specific plan for your own dog based on your dog's type of cancer and your dog's age, your financial budget, as well as your personality. You can get the Dog Cancer Survival Guide wherever books are sold, but if you get it direct from the publisher, you will save 10% when you use the offer code, especially for listeners of this podcast. Just go to dogcancerbook.com, and when you check out, use the promo code PODCAST, and you will save 10%. The website again, dogcancerbook.com, and use the promo code PODCAST to save 10%. I want to let you know about an important newsletter. It's called Dog Cancer News. Now, with a name like that, it is not for everyone. But if your dog has cancer, you will want to subscribe. That's because every issue features articles that will be helpful, such as low-carb dog cancer diet recipes, new clinical trials, financial resources to help pay for cancer care, information on supplements, and lots of other helpful info that your veterinarian may not know or have the time to share with you. Also, when you subscribe to Dog Cancer News, you will get a weekly update on the topics covered on this podcast, along with links and resources. So how much does Dog Cancer News cost? Well, today, you can subscribe for free. 
It's our gift. For a limited time, you can get a full year subscription for free. No strings attached. Just go to this website to sign up for the newsletter now, dogcancernews.com. It takes less than 10 seconds to subscribe, and it is totally free. Do it now at dogcancernews.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We are back with Dr. Nancy Reese. Now, Dr. Nancy, as someone who, you know, has spent a good deal of your life doing research and maybe PhD level research, when you come across this and it's gaining traction, how does that make you feel? It's really sometimes frustrating to try to come up against this because like I said at the beginning, I honestly would love it if this worked for all cancers and could do 99%. I mean, it would just be the greatest thing if I could tell people when I have horrible news for them that, hey, I've got this very cheap, very low side effect, and this is going to cure your dog or 99% chance. I would absolutely love that. But the first thing I do is look, well, what's the rationale behind this? And while some of these drugs, both of these in test tubes, you know, have some effect in certain pathways as a whole treatment for cancer, which is just such a nasty disease, we need to find real proof that it works. And it's just not out there. Comparing to something like artemisinin, when I look for clinical trials that are looking at Tagamet and or Benadryl as part of the protocol, there's a huge number of studies that have those, but every one of them is to mitigate side effects of chemo, not anything to do with looking at those agents as primary anti-cancer drugs. So how do you teach scientific literacy? How do you advise someone who, you know, oh my gosh, look, there's this thing that my vet doesn't want to talk about because it's cheap and I can go to the CVS and pick it up and I just need to do this. How do you advise someone to think and to scrutinize that in such a way that they would be doing their dog a service versus a disservice? I think the first thing is to have a good enough relationship with your veterinarian that first you could even discuss it without them just brushing you off or saying no. I think if you get to know your veterinarian, you will find, like I said, that none of them want to steer you to a horrible, more expensive treatment because they can benefit from it. It's really because there's no evidence that something cheap and lovely like that, <laughs> that it actually works. So if you can have an honest heart to heart with your veterinarian of saying, you know, this is why I want to try it. The veterinarian will say, usually try to have some evidence for other things working better, or at least be able to say, look, it's not that I don't want you to do this. 
it's a, I don't believe it's going to work. And you're delaying doing other things in the hope that this will work. And I think you've looked a little bit at the website where this is promoted and you've seen all these, quote, success stories. What do you make of that? That's always a hard one because I will admit that sometimes we find some great new treatment or things that first start out with anecdotal stories. Mm -hmm. So there's some interest in saying, gee, I wonder what was going on with these. One of the biggest worries that I have or red flags, I guess, is that unfortunately anything on social media you have to take with such a huge grain of salt. Even on a day-to-day basis in the office, I will have people come in and they'll discuss, say, maybe what their last vet had said and what treatments they did and what the effect was. And when I get the medical records looking at that, I find the reality might be very different from the person's perception. So Sometimes for protocols like this, somebody might say, gee, that looks like it could be a mast cell tumor. And the person goes home and tries Tagamet and Benadryl and turns out it was an insect bite. So you might get these wonderful stories of the tumor went away when it actually wasn't diagnosed as that particular type of tumor. So anything that reports just on anecdotal information is just really hard to accept. Without getting too like meta, but it seems like everyone can be a scientist today on the internet. Right. Absolutely. And whether they're a good scientist or bad scientist, you can do both on the internet. You can find any information you want and someone will talk about it as, as if they are an authority. Absolutely. And I have, as a sort of a form of practice, I guess you might call it, I have tried to think of something kind of bizarre or some effect that I wanted to study. And I I have let my personal biases lead me down direction. So if I want product X to work for this skin condition, I might look on the internet and find 10 sources that support what I want to do and 10 that say no. And I start discarding all the ones that say no and just go with those 10 that say yes, because I believe that I want it to work and I want to have some justification for what I'm giving. So you can pretty much find evidence to defend any product that you want to use. (laughs) And that's not necessarily good science. And it's not good science. It's sort of the opposite of what the scientific method is. I've never asked anyone this question, but how would you basically distill it to, you know, an elementary school kid? What is good science? Ooh, that's a that's a fascinating question, really, because to describe it to a school age child, I guess I would say you have to take information that is consistently applied and have a consistent outcome. So you take situations that are fairly equal and apply a treatment and get good responses. A lot of the studies on some of these alternative things. They might sound really good from the summary, but when you look at it, you find out the animals were not comparable, the diseases were not comparable, the treatment was not comparable. So you can't really come up with a conclusion that the drug or whatever it is worked when you used it against such a wide variety of things. So good science is consistency and repeatability of effect. 
That's what I remember. The hypothesis, and then you determine something, and then can you repeat it? Yeah, repeating is very big. Yeah, and you have to be able to repeat it in different conditions, and other people have to be able to repeat it with the same results. And then you're Good like, point. Yeah, and that, I think, is one of the rigors that has been lost on the internet scientists who who discover amazing protocols and use all the power of the internet to persuade someone that it might be right when it's an extraordinary claim. Absolutely. And that one thing I've learned over the years of when you look at something that's on the internet, even an article about something where you were actually personally involved, and then you read the article and you think, that isn't the way it happened at all, or these factors are not at all. Right. You know, so I think there's a big factor of that in the internet. <laughs> yeah, I think that happens a lot. Is you know, it's like that if a reporter ever covers something, every interview has at least one or two things in it that is not exactly what she meant, but that's what got published, and so that's how you know the giant fish story uh, right. grows. <laughs> and it's like it was this big, it was this big, it was this big, <laughs> and. This other thing of just like extraordinary claims require extraordinary proof. Right. I think that should be a trigger when something sounds too good to be true. Well, maybe it is. And it's worth thinking about and looking at and considering that maybe what you're hearing is not the truth. Discernment is so critical. And it's easy, obviously, when you have a dog with cancer to to throw out discernment for hope. Absolutely. When in fact, there are whole profession of people in the veterinary field, whether they are, you know, oncologists who like to use chemotherapy drugs or Eastern medicine practitioners who use herbs and energy. You know, there's a whole bunch of things, but these are folks who have dedicated their lives to studying this and it's important to use your own discernment to make sure that you're not just falling prey for something that is too good to be true. Right. Hope is a good thing, but it has to be realistic hope as well. Well, Dr. Nancy, thank you so much for doing this show with us today. We debated about it for a long time because it just is one of those things that just like, do we put more attention on it by discussing it? But I think hopefully this was helpful for our listeners. Thank you so much for being a part of it. Thank you. And thank you, listener, for joining us today. Yes, magic bullets, they can be so tempting, and we want to believe in them so badly. But it's important to evaluate any possible treatment for whether it truly is effective and has good science to back it up. Check out the show notes on your podcast app or on our website at dogcanceranswers.com for anything that you might have missed here. And don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter, which is Dog Cancer News, and you can subscribe at dogcancernews.com. If you have a dog with cancer and you need some support as you sort through the different treatment options to figure out what is the best choice for your dog, you might find the comfort and advice that you're looking for in our private Facebook group. And you can find that on Facebook by searching for Dog Cancer Support, or you can go to the quick URL dogcancersupport.com and join our community there. Please let other people know about this show. If you found this helpful, please share it in social media and tell your veterinarian and your veterinarian's team 
the vet techs and everyone else who's there about dog cancer answers. It helps us grow and it helps other dog lovers. Well, that is it for today's show. From all of us here at Dog Podcast Network, I'm James Jacobson, and I want to wish you and your dog a very warm aloha. Thank you for listening to Dog Cancer Answers. If you'd like to connect, please visit our website at dogcanceranswers.com or call our listener line at 808-868-3200. And here's a friendly reminder that you probably already know. This podcast is provided for informational and educational purposes only. It's not meant to take the place of the advice you receive from your dog's veterinarian. Only veterinarians who examine your dog can give you veterinary advice or diagnose your dog's medical condition. Your reliance on the information you hear on this podcast is solely at your own risk. If your dog has a specific health problem, contact your veterinarian. Also, please keep in mind that veterinary information can change rapidly. Therefore, some information may be out of date. Dog Cancer Answers is a presentation of Maui Media in association with Dog Podcast Network. Is artificial intelligence going to change veterinary medicine? Well, it already has. Right now on Dog Cancer Answers, we're speaking with Dr. Kelly Deal of Morris Animal Foundation about how AI is impacting veterinary research and the practice of medicine itself. That's on Dog Cancer Answers. Get it wherever you get your podcasts or at dogcancer.com slash podcast.